Welcome back to the Morning Grind, Roto Grinders. Dean with you once again. No, I'm not Stevie. Stevie, of course, is busy knocking out his NASCAR content. If you guys want some NASCAR content, you know where to hit him up on rotogrinders.com. Back said, we're talking MMA, mixed martial arts, UFC this weekend. We're bringing in once again, Art of War, Sun Tzu, Joe. Joe, how, uh, how are things in your world? Well, uh, you know, good news, bad news. I actually took down the main contest last week. You know, the $15... $100,000 to first contest. However, how many friends? I shared it with 112 of my friends. <laughs> um, so what that actually means, and the scoring was insane. Um, I actually would have done better if I actually was going to win that contest regardless, because I had both, I was live to both I and Kavia in the main event. Now, I, I would have only shared that with 29 of my friends. <laughs> so it would have been about $7,000 as opposed to two. So to add insult to injury, I am the example of someone that scores 749, takes down a tie for first in a contest that pays 100000 to first, and I lost money on the event. So <laughs> it, was, it was like one of those situations where the scoring was just insane. A lot of people were live to Cavio. I felt good about some of the calls I made on the show. I said it was, um, you know, it would be sneaky to have um, someone from Vittori Robertson, Roberson in you know, in the nuts. And as it turned out, you know, Vittori went crazy. Um, he, he went, he scored really well, which was not something you would see if you looked at his, his history on for DraftKings points. And he ended up being on the nuts lineup. So um, it seems like um, unfortunately 111 other people followed that and had Vittori in the nuts, but, and we mentioned this before we have a second Millie maker um, for the inaugural fight Island card on July 11th in Abu Dhabi. Uh, three title fights. Uh, DraftKings did slightly lower the aggregate pool from two and a half million to two point two five million, which means it's even more top heavy. Um, but we had three people win it last time, so I'm hopeful that we have some good payouts. Yeah, uh, I was on the wrong side. Uh, uh, I lost money last week as well. The previous week I won. Last week I lost MMA. You had to be pretty much perfect last week, as you said. The scores last week are uh, pretty crazy. Especially that dude you were talking about, like you don't even need him like to finish in the first round. The guy put up a 177, and I'm really new to MMA. Is 177 about as high a score you've ever seen? I think it was two points off the record, or two and a half points off the record, or maybe it was two and a half points above. It was really close to the record that that Tim Elliott set. You know, and that's exactly what you wanted to see out of Marab. You didn't want the early finish. You wanted the fight to go on so he could do those chain wrestling type takedowns, and the other guy kept getting up. The only problem was because it was such a free square and, and his opponent was a late notice replacement and not Ray Borg, uh, everybody and their brother had, had Marab, you know, which made it really, really difficult, um, you know, for that to mean anything. I took the Roberson side, by the way, you talked about picking one of those guys in the fight and Roberson, uh, he came in overweight and I was like, well, maybe he's like, I don't know he's overweight and out of shape or he just doesn't really care. And I guess there's no punish. Is there no punishment for me? Yeah, there is. You, you're sacrificing um, 20 to 30% of your aggregate purse. Oh, okay. Um, and, and most of that goes to your opponent, you know, it, depending on where they're fighting, some of that might go to the commission, but most of it does go to your opponent. So it could be a pretty significant amount of money. We are recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. As of right now, Joe, we have 12 fights. Uh, nothing goofy, no shenanigans, but as always with MMA, especially in these times, uh, stay tuned. Things may change. Uh, and I guess have weigh-ins happened just yet or no? No, weigh-ins are usually 24 hours before the actual fight. The fights go off. Okay. So we'll uh, see weigh-ins on Friday. 
All right. Uh, so what? Here's what we have. We have 12 fights as of right now. And again, I I just sit there and I ask questions and I fire them away from a novice perspective. And for me, from a novice perspective, uh, this Curtis Blades versus Volkov fight. Vegas is telling us Blades is just a phenomenal play. Of course, DK. He's the most expensive guy on the board at 9.4K, but he's the biggest favorite on the slate, minus 400. That's bigger than anybody else. The next biggest favorite is 240, minus 240. These odds I'm pulling from DK and Fandle for what it's worth. And again, this is on Wednesday afternoon. Not only is Blades minus 400, though, Joe, uh, it's minus 430 for this fight to not go the distance. So he's the massive favorite. And according to Vegas, they're telling us this fight's going to end within the distance. Uh, that's where we have to start, right? The five foul, uh, the five round fight of Blades versus Volkov. Yeah, I mean he's going to be really highly owned. I mean Blades is is probably not probably is the best wrestler in the heavyweight ranks. Um, he's had a lot of success against everybody but Francis Ngannou, who's finished him twice. Now the thing here is th- these guys are heavyweights. Like Volkov is no slouch. He's six foot seven, even though he's only at six foot seven. Blades is six foot four. So he's got a three-inch height advantage, which actually benefits Blades for takedowns because he should be able to get down and inside. Um, but Volkov can hit. I mean, you know, he's, he's a good striker. And with heavyweights, it really only takes one punch. So if I was ever, ever going to advocate that you, you play game theory here, yeah, you should own Blades. You should own Blades in cash. But if you're max entering, I would have a Volkov lineup in there just in case. I mean, look, Blades has been finished before. Uh, albeit by Francis Ngannou, who's one of the hardest hitters in the heavyweight division. But do you really want, you know, to not have any shares um, in a heavyweight fight where, quite honestly, the opponent is not a can. The opponent is a solid opponent. I mean, he's, he's a credentialed MMA fighter, a credentialed striker, um, who's six foot seven and hits pretty hard. So certainly play blades, but I would, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you to have a few shares of Volkov if you're mass entering. Volkov is the, ch- the cheapest fighter on the slate, 6.8K. And you're saying he's, you know, just needs one punch. He's a big boy. You know, he, he catches a, if he catches blades in the right, you know, the right moment, the right angle, however you want to say it, uh, he can walk into one and knock him out in the first or second round. Of course, you know, Vegas is telling us that's not going to happen when all we care about is a sample size of one. And, and you know, as you said, ownership is going to be very, very heavy on blades for obvious reasons. Uh, can you give me like an ownership percentage you think you feel safe? You're making 150 lineups. Maybe 10% Volkov? Is that too much? Is that too much? Yeah, that that's probably right? a little too much, but that could be a really nice contrarian play. Um, I would probably go around 5% Volkov. I mean, again, we're maybe round that up. So that would be, if I'm doing 150, that would be seven and a half lineups, round it up to eight to 10 maybe, maybe have 10 lineups with Volkov. I mean, again, there are, unlike last week, there are a number of dogs on this card that I like. So I'm probably going to have a lot more balanced ownership than I had last week. So it might be hard to get more than 10 Volkov lineups in there anyway. Uh, what about playing them together? Is that a bad strategy this week or is that a good strategy? Uh, you know, again, in cash, people will tell you always oh, stack the main event. Um, actually, last week it would not have been bad because Cynthia Calvillo put up a lot of points. I didn't think it was a good main event to stack, but I was wrong. I will admit to all the, the, the pundits who said stack the main event last week that it would have been a good stack in cash. It would not have helped anybody in GPP simply because there was a lot of high scoring, but it was not a bad cash move. Um, again, I just because I could see this fight ending very quickly, I could certainly see the loser not putting up a lot of points. I mean, you know, heavyweights generally are not high velocity or high volume strikers, unlike the lighter weight classes. 
I mean, a lot of, obviously, Cynthia Cavillo last week got four takedowns, but she also threw a fair number of significant strikes over the five rounds. So as Jessica, I was not inactive either, and the fight went the distance. Here, if you, if you know, let's say Blades comes out, takes him down and grounds and pounds him, and Volkov doesn't get any strikes off, you know, you're going to get a big goose egg for, for Volkov if you actually stack it. What about fading this fight? How bold would that be? Uh, that would be an uber contrarian. That seems like it. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not saying don't do it because there is $150,000 to first contest here. And if you're looking to differentiate yourself and you want to have a few lineups that way, but I'll tell you what, I mean, I'd hate to be the one leading going into the heavyweight fight, knowing I needed a low score in order to hold on to my place. Um, you know, but it's a strategy for sure. Uh, the main event aside, give me, give me the big screenshot as far as the slate. 12 fights going down uh, outside of the Blades-Volkov fight. Uh, there's a lot of fights basically that are coin toss. I, I count like six that are more or less a coin toss according to Vegas. Four of these 12, I believe, are women's fights as well. Uh, give me the screenshot beyond the main event. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of interesting fights here. I mean, the co-main event, and, and we were discussing this off air, like matchmakers generally will – the co-main event has no distinct meaning in terms of like length of fight. There's nothing special about the co-main event other than the fact that the matchmakers, you know, believe that that's, you know, the second best quote unquote fight on the card. I um, in this case, it might be true. I mean, uh, Josh Emmett and uh, Sugar and, and Hurricane Shane Burgos. Um, this is a good main event. I actually have a little bit of love for the dog here. Actually a lot of love for the dog. Um, Emmett has fought and has fought a, a, a good quality competition um he's got some wrestling in his back pocket although he hasn't used it in a few years he is a hard hitter um Burgos on the other hand is a volume striker um he is susceptible to takedowns which is why I think you know Emmett might be smart to use his takedown game um and he trains at a gym that's a good wrestling gym uh but Burgos is a high volume striker now with that said he throws like seven strikes per minute on average but he also absorbs five strikes per minute and if you watch any film on Burgos, he is there to be hit. He leaves his hands down. He is there to be hit. So with Emmett, much less volume, but hits a lot harder. Um, dog money, I, I believe when I bet this, I did bet um, Emmett at plus 115. I think that line is down to plus 110. Would not surprise me if the line tightens even a little more, simply because I didn't understand the line when I saw it. I thought that, that Emmett was going to open up as a favorite. Did not happen. Um, but I do like Emmett a fair amount here. Yeah, I'm pulling this up now, and it's pretty interesting as far as the odds. Uh, like you said, the odds did change. Emmett is plus 110, uh, minus 200 to not go the distance. So Vegas is expecting this one to be finished. And you talk about Emmett being the dog uh, at plus 110 versus Burgos is minus 137. Emmett uh, to win by KO, KO or TKO is plus 210. Uh, on the other side, Burgos is plus 310. So the favorite is plus 310 to knock him out or win by TKO. Now, for what it's worth, uh, he's plus 750 for submission, and the other side, Emmett, is plus 1,700 for submission. But what I'm what I'm seeing, uh, what Vegas is telling me, is the dog is, if this uh, does not go the distance, is more likely to be the winner uh, inside the distance. So that makes him even more appealing, yes? Yeah, I mean, he's the more knockout. He's the knockout-oriented puncher. I mean, you know, the theory is that if it goes to decision, Burgos has the greatest chance to win because of his out- output and his high-volume striking, where um, – you know, Emmett is the power puncher. So he's got the better chance or the more legitimate chance to get a knockout. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I'm, I'm banking on a finish. I, I, 
I still believe he can win a decision if it's a dominant one. But, you know, the line, the betting line tells you that if it goes to decision, it's, it's Burgos has the better chance to get the win. And if it stays, you know, if, if Emmett can catch him with something, um, you know, it'll end inside the distance. Emmett will be the victor. Uh, from a DK perspective, we're seeing Emmett at 7,500, Burgos at 8,700. I presume you really like that Emmett price. Attractive, very attractive. I mean, it should be narrow. Um, again, we may see close to a pick when all is said and done. Um, maybe there's some late money that comes in on Burgos. Look, these guys are both good fighters. I like Burgos. Um, I'm just looking at quality of competition, which I give hands down to Emmett. The best fighter that Burgos has faced by far is Calvin Cater, who he lost to um, and got finished by. I believe he got finished by. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I like Emmett a lot at 7.5K. I think he's going to be pretty highly owned. I would. Have, does he feel like a, a cash game staple as well? I would think so. Well, the, the only risk in cash, I, he, he would be a cash game play by price. But the risk here is that if it goes to decision, he's not a high output fighter. So if it goes to decision and he doesn't have any knockdowns, which are 10 points for those who, who don't know the DraftKings scoring, if he doesn't get any knockdowns, which are 10 points, he doesn't get any takedowns, which are five points, and you're, you're going to have to rely on his striking. His floor is probably not the highest in the world. So that's the risk of playing Evan and Cash. But I like him to win. So from that respect and the fact that he's 7.5K, I see him as a cash play. But I wouldn't play him in cash for his floor. The uh, the two next biggest favorites, Roosevelt Roberts, Bobby Green, they're both minus 240. Uh, now they say Roberts, that fight is minus 150 to not go the distance. Green, that fight is minus 148 to go the distance. Uh, does that make Roberts a more appealing play than Green just that much, or is there more to dig into? So wait, no, so so wait. Ro- Green is 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 not going to go the distance. Minus one forty eight to go the distance for Green. Oh, minus one forty eight to go the distance. That's interesting. Um, okay, yeah, I'm surprised. Green is fighting Clay Guida, who is kind of they call him the Carpenter because he looks like Jesus. Um, okay. <laughs> I know you love the nicknames Clay sure. the Carpenter Guida. Um, you'll see him. He's a wild guy. He runs out. He high fives everybody as he's running in. Like he literally doesn't do a walk to the octagon. He runs. Um, I've seen a couple of his fights. He's a very entertaining fighter. He's at the tail end of his career. Um, you know, green is younger. Green is, you know, I would think that green has got a, maybe a better chance to finish uh, Guida than uh, uh, Roosevelt Roberts does of Jim Miller. Um, you know, Jim Miller is a, a again, um, a fighter that's sort of at the tail end of his career. He had a little bit of a resurgence. Um, he was unfortunately afflicted with Lyme disease, which actually took a huge toll on, on him and, and really affected the way he fought for a number of years. And he's had some really good fights. I mean, he's a credentialed Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, I believe, got submissions in his last two fights. I would be a little surprised. If he submitted Miller, um, he could certainly beat him striking. Um, but Miller's a tough guy, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised by those inside the distance lines. I would have thought that Bobby Green, just given that Guida's is older, um, easier to hit, might be more susceptible um, to be finished. Um, you know, I, I like the favorites in both those fights, but um, I probably like Green a little bit more than I like Roosevelt Roberts just because of how tough Miller is. Yeah, I'm just pulling it up on the fly. Just make sure I got that correct because I wrote this down earlier. And, of course, these odds are all fluid as well. Right. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Roberts versus Miller. Uh, will the fight go the distance? No, minus 150. Okay, interesting. Okay. 
Uh, another big favorite, one of the women's fights, uh, Van Buren versus Torres. Uh, Van Buren's a minus 210 favorite. Minus 400 to go the distance. I think that's the biggest number as far as going the distance, which, the, again, total novice. My first thought is, like, why do I want any, any of this? Yeah, I mean, if you want any of it, you want some Tisha Torres probably at 7.2K. Tisha Torres is, like, one of the original sort of OGs in strawweight. Um, she actually has a win against Rose Namajunas, um, who recently held the title at strawweight. I would argue that she may have actually even beat Rose in the rematch. Um, and then she, you know, she's fought the who's who in, um, you know, at strawweight at 115. She's a little undersized and she's had difficulty with larger opponents, but she literally has fought a murderer's row um, in strawweight, where I believe this is Van Buren's second fight in the US, UFC. She's well thought of. So I don't know if, if Tisha Torres would consider herself a gatekeeper, but maybe that's how the USC, the UFC is looking at this fight, considering she's coming off of more losses than you would normally expect a fighter to have to retain their job. Four in a row. Um, I could see myself playing a little bit of Torres here. I mean, again, she's faced much better competition. Um, you know, she trains with her fiance, who's also on this card. Uh, Rocky Pennington or Rachel Pennington is also on this card fighting Marion Renault. They live and train together. Um, you know, I, I ha- would have a hard time betting Van Buren at that price. I mean, she could certainly win a decision. I don't like Van Buren much on DK just because I don't see Tisha getting finished. She's, she's fought too, many, too much better competition and not gotten finished. So if Van Buren does win, which is, is likely, she'll get a decision. But I still see Tisha Torres is having a shot here to get a decision. I mean, she is a a more uh, accomplished fighter. Um, so at 7.2K, I, I don't mind a little bit of Tisha Torres. Yeah, and I'm seeing Van Buren at 9K. Um, Expensive. That's, it feels like, again, uh, my, my, my first thought, just kind of looking at it, it's like she'll probably be fairly low-owned compared to Blades at 9.4, Roberts at 9.2, Green at 9.1, and we kind of move on from there. But uh, you mentioned Pennington, Pennington minus 152. It's interesting because both of them, are, they're in the fights that are expected to go the distance that fight is also minus 360 to go the distance against Renault. Uh, our thoughts on that fight, yeah. That you know, um, Renault is look, I love Marion Renault, she's like a high school gym teacher, but she's 42 <laughs> years old. You uh-huh. know, um, Pennington has had a lot, has had some really tough fights. Renault was one of the OGs in Bantamweight, too. She's been around for a while, Pennington's been around for a while. They've each had a number of fights in, in the UFC. Um, Renault is much more accomplished on the ground. She does train at a good camp. Um, I think it's Kings MMA is where she trains and, and master Rafael Cadero is, is a good coach, but she's always had the ability to kind of lose rounds and then come back and get a sub. So this is a pretty tight betting line. Um, you know, Pennington certainly has a chance to hurt her striking. I see her as the better striker here. Um, but I see this as a pretty close fight. I mean, um, I don't know that I want a lot of shares of this fight because of the inside the distance prop and because there are a lot of, of other fights I like more, but I would probably be tempted to have a few shares of Renault because of her price point and then have a few shares of Pennington in case, you know, Renault has really plateaued at 42 years of age going on 43. And, um, you know, I don't know what her COVID training situation was like. I mean, the older you are, you typically, typically, you know, more camp you need to get ready for a fight. So there's some narrative around that. I don't have any inside information. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that, 
but I'll probably have a few shares of her for that reason, Rocky, and I'll have a few shares of Renault because I know she's an accomplished ground fighter and I like the price point. Um, but otherwise, I don't have a ton of interest in this fight on DraftKings. Yeah, so basically five coin flips, more or less. A bunch of guys are plus 100. The other side's like minus 120 or so. And I know you, you said you like some dogs uh, amongst this group. It feels like you got to pick the winners here. This is where you probably – your bread is buttered this week, I, I would imagine. Uh, what what fights or what fighter is standing out for you amongst this group? So Lyman good against Bilal Muhammad. Um, lo- by the way, love Bilal Muhammad. He's got a, a, a social media Twitter presence. He's – you know, he's always posting. He's a seems to be an approachable guy like him. You know, um, I have a lot of respect for, you know, he is Muslim and he, you know, training during Ramadan and not being able to take a sip of water while you're training. I mean, I have a lot of respect for fighters who, who go through that. And he's gone through that in the past. Um, Lyman Good, though, I like Lyman Good at, at, a, at Dog Money. I mean, um, you know, the only person that finished him, I believe, was Damian Maya. He submitted him. And when you get Damian Maya on your back, uh, maybe one of the most accomplished Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time. He actually teaches jiu-jitsu seminars to other UFC fighters. Um, he's the one who finished Lyman good. Lyman hits hard. Um, I could certainly see this fight being, in, in the words of my uh, good friend Cody Safford, a greasy type of, of decision where it, it mainly you know takes place on the ground, a little bit of back and forth, um, comes down to the judges. But Lyman good at plus money, I kind of like him. You said greasy. I thought you meant like shady. Like the, the judges. No, the greasy is more. Well, greasy is more like, um, you know, you have one, you have, you have three judges, and one judge scores it thirty twenty seven one way, another judge scores it thirty twenty seven the other way, and then the other judge is twenty nine twenty eight, and that determines who wins. Yeah, you know, like that's kind of my definition of a greasy decision. Not not so much shady, but just kind of like different different views on how the fight actually transpired. I'm just now realizing, by the way, that DK puts the fighter nicknames in their player profile, and I'm excited. I've been reading these. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, remember the name. That's pretty remember good. I like that. Yeah, he was a Bellator <laughs> fighter, and, you know, he wanted to – he wanted people to notice him, and he finally got signed by the UFC and, you know, had some, had some good fights in the UFC. I think he – you know, I don't know how much more of a ceiling he has as a fighter, but he's a great guy, and he's hard not to root for uh, Lyman Good is 7-3. I know you talked about like an Emmett at 7-5 as well. Uh, is this a week where uh, more often than other weeks you're going to leave extra salary in the table? That's what I'm looking at. I think you certainly can. I mean, last week was really hard. It was really difficult to find mm-hmm. an underdog that you liked. Uh, and what ended up happening is this guy, Adeshev, who we spoke about, the, the kickboxer who fought on the, on the Bellator events because he sold tickets in New York, I could not believe the love that he got. I mean, you know, I think that was almost like like even money when the fight went off. He was like plus 106, something crazy against a guy far more accomplished than Tyson Nam. Um, and that was even after the fact that he didn't look great at weigh-ins, meaning he looked a little pudgy um, at weigh-ins, which, you know, who knows what he was actually training for if he was training at all. And, of course, he gets sparked inside of the first, you know, 30 seconds or the first minute of that fight. And I think the reason why he caught so much love is simply because of the lack of, of underdogs on the card that people liked. And, you know, whoever had, you know, the underdog, Charles Rose, I think, was one underdog who won a decision. There wasn't a lot. And that was part of the problem. Here, I think you have a lot of different directions that you can go in. So I can certainly see leaving salary on the table as a strategy. Yeah, Jillian Robertson versus Casey's basically a coin toss. Uh, Robertson's a slight favorite. Camacho's a slight dog. 
against Frivola. I believe I'm pronouncing that yeah, correctly. Matt, Matt, the steamroller Frivola. <laughs> uh, I think he's also a, a Saralongo fighter on Long Island. I believe he trains with those guys. Um, that's going to be a banger of a fight. Both of those guys are fight of the night type fighters. They go out and they just slug. Um, so that is another exciting fight. Both those guys are pretty even. I think it's like 8.2, 8K on DraftKings. It's probably, it's a fight that you want to have a lot of exposure to because um, I believe the inside the distance prop um, on the fight as a whole is pretty good. And probably on, well, Camacho, it's probably a little better. But um, I think it's a fight you definitely want to have some shares of. Uh, will the fight go the distance according to FanDuel Sportsbook? No, minus 118. Uh, specifically uh, for the fighters, uh, let's see, Camacho by TKO is plus 260. By submission, plus 1,200. Frivola on the other side, plus 400 for TKO or KO. Uh, submission, plus 950. Um, who, but is this just a small sample size? All the women seem to be more likely to go the distance, basically, because uh, we're seeing the Murphy versus uh, Roxanne. How do we pronounce her last name? Mataferi. There you go. Thank you. She that, is known as the Happy Warrior. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that one is minus 300 to go the distance. So uh, at least on this card specifically, outside, I believe, one of the women's fights, all of them are essentially expected to go all three rounds. And is that why I know we talked about it, a generalization, of course, uh, a lot of people don't like rostering the women in UFC. Is it for this reason? Or what it, reason? It, that, that is, you know, the, the generalization is, is coming out here on this slate. Yeah, you are. That is the, that is the, the, what a lot of people believe is that, you know, it actually bears out if you look at statistics where fewer women's fights seem to finish inside the distance. Now with that said, you can still, you still want to roster um, like a Joanna John Jacek. Um, known as jo- Joanna Champion, because you got a high-velocity women's striker. Um, that makes up for the fact that she might not get a finish um, because she just throws so much volume that she's going she's gonna to get a lot of significant strikes. I mean, she's had fights where she's scored 100 points just in significant strikes thrown, meaning she landed 200 significant strikes. So um, the, the sort of double negative to that is that if you have a fight that is not looking like it's going to finish inside the distance – and you have one or two low output fighters that may or may not look to wrestle. That's when you really have a fight that you probably don't want a lot of for DraftKings. Because as we know, you get two, you get one point for every two significant strikes, five points for a takedown, 10 points for a knockdown, 30 points for a decision win. So if you're not getting any takedowns and you're not getting any knockdowns and you're getting 30 points for a decision win and you're landing 50 or 60 strikes, you know, you're looking at maybe a 60 point score you know, which is generally not going to work, um, you know, um, to get for GPP and might not even be good, good enough to get you a cash game. Is that a, is there a fight on the slate that kind of jumps out? Looks like that kind of mold. I mean, the women, you know, most of the women's fights, like, you know, Torres Van Buren, I could see a lot of, you know, distance striking maybe in that fight. I mean, Pennington, uh, you know, Mataferi Murphy. Now th- there might be some ground exchanges there because Roxy is a good judicial practice jiu-jitsu practitioner and they look to get it to the ground murphy seems to be more of a striker although her ground game isn't awful either um you know i think all of the women's fights you could make a case to avoid them if you wanted to so there's a potential loser leaves town fight two guys that have lost three fights in a row and i think you know who i'm talking about i see your head nodding so you can pronounce these dudes names uh you're are they going to be slugging it out because there's some desperation what are our thoughts here let's see i think we have a 
think we have, might have more than one of those. Oscar, it's Oscar oh, versus Pachota. Mark Andre. Okay, I see. I got it. Okay, yeah. So you're talking about um, you're talking about the French the French guy who is where are we? I think it might be Barrio. Oh, okay, be so it's, it's Mark Andre Barrio against uh, Oscar Pachota. Yes. Um. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting fight. I mean, I've heard some love for both fighters. Um, I'll be honest, this is one fight I have not looked a lot at yet. Um, you know, given there's 12 fights and and the fact that we've had, you know, we've had fights fall off. I mean, I'm definitely going to do my homework on all these fights. But as it stands now, like what I know about both of these guys, I've been hearing, you know, on what I've what I've researched so far, some equal love for these guys. So I'll probably have a few shares of each of them. Maybe that opinion will change when I put a little bit more time in. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, you're right. Both of these guys have several losses. And generally, the way that UFC contracts work is the UFC can cut you, no matter how many fights you have remaining on your contract. The UFC can cut you off of two consecutive losses. So, like, these guys are living on borrowed time. Um, it is likely a loser leaves home. I mean, look, if it's a if it's a boring fight, the winner could could leave home, too. <laughs> Um, you know, like he could certainly be caught because he's lost two fights in a row. I mean, we've seen it happen in the past. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, on the surface, I don't, I don't love this fight for DraftKings, but I need to, I need to put some more time into it. Oscar minus one twenty nine for what it's worth, and uh, minus one twenty eight for this fight to not go the distance. Yeah, very evenly matched. Um, probably going to want a couple of shares for for that reason alone. The inside the distance prop. Yeah, uh, and there's I'm another guy. I'm not confident enough to make a pick right now in that fight. So I, I think this was like a late swap in the middle of the week. This guy, yep. he's uh, never fought before. He's fighting Hubbard. He is now the favorite Max something. I, I suppose he's a bit of a prospect. Yeah, so this is really interesting. There's actually some narrative around this fight, right? Um, Max Rosh, Roshkoff. Um there is a he was he was scheduled to fight Austin Hubbard Joseph Selecki. Selecki was a favorite. Hubbard actually is coming off of a really tough loss to Marco Madsen, who was an Olympic medaler um, in wrestling, and he actually held his own in that fight. He's had some really tough tough fights in the UFC. Now Max is is kind of an acclaimed wrestler here. He is a prospect, but what's really interesting about this fight is there is a tweet that's since been taken down. That was put up by Max prior to him getting a call up saying that he hadn't trained in two weeks due to an injury, but he told his manager that he would even take a fight on four days notice, even if he hadn't trained in two weeks due to his injury. So that tweet has since been taken down from what I understand. So that's the narrative surrounding this fight. How much did this guy actually train? How much cardio does he have? What was the injury? And he's fighting a guy that actually, you know, looked good in his last fight. I mean, it's hard to look good against an Olympic wrestler that's grinding on you. But he actually held his own in that fight. So I don't necessarily buy into the love for Max. You know, obviously making his UFC debut, um, the narrative surrounding the, the potential injury, the, the perhaps not training, you know, in the last two weeks, that's going to affect his cardio. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then Hubbard, I believe Hubbard trains at elevation, which should mean his cardio is going to be good. And he's been training for this fight, albeit against another opponent. So I would not, you know, I would have a little bit of love for Hubbard here. 
Hubbard, 7.8K on DK. Max is 8.4K on DK. Uh, will the fight go the distance, according to FanDuel Sportsbook? No, minus 146. And Max is a minus 188 favorite. Do you think Hubbard is an interesting dog there? You're getting a pretty good number. I do. I think maybe you want a few share. You want some shares of the other side as well. But I mean, again, given the narrative, I like Max more than I like the favorite. I mean, I'm sorry. I like, I like, uh, I like the dog. I like Austin Hubbard more than I like the favorite. I was concerned when I was in another situation. What was that guy's name? Cooper was like 20 years old. Was that his name? Yes. Cooper. Big uh, favorite. This guy's 25 at least. I feel yeah. better about a 25 year old than a 20 year old. He has not had a lot of fights. I mean, you know, competition is so so in his in his MMA fights, but he's not had a lot of fight, a lot of MMA fights. He's had some grappling matches. If you look on Tapology, you can see he's been in some grappling contests. So the idea is he's probably going to look to use his wrestling, but that also plays against the cardio narrative or plays, you know, supports the cardio narrative where wrestling generally will take more out of you than than striking, like trying to get takedowns, you know. What about the angle of like UFC? If UFC had their druthers, if they can like the WWE style pick the winner, is Hubbard kind of like a, a gatekeeper, as you would say? Or is he also an up and comer or kind of a mid tier guy? He's too young to be a gatekeeper. Okay. I think, you know, I, I don't know that UFC, this is such an early prelim type of fight. I don't know that the US, the UFC has a game plan for either one of these guys yet. Okay. I mean, you know, Hubbard upside is a wrestler. But again, taking a fight on four days' notice, the risk of repeating myself potentially being injured, not having trained for a while. That's all bad narrative. Give me a, give, give me a, a live dog, your favorite live dog from a DK perspective, from a, a book perspective. And again, there's a lot of guys that are basically like right. around plus 100. We'll call that a dog. Look, it's not sexy, but I, I posted um, this on Twitter. So I'm not, I'm not giving you guys anything that I haven't put out on Twitter. Uh, I like, uh, I like Josh Emmett. It's going to be either the biggest pork chop that I've ever eaten. I, I bet Josh Emmett. Um, I also did a parlay with uh, Josh Emmett and Blades that pays uh, plus 188. So that's if you put those two together, you got the this, this, the dog in, in Emmett with the favorite and Blades. Those two together give you plus 188, which isn't bad. Um, you know, so the, I like Emmett. I, I think that's my favorite dog. I love his price on DK at 7.5K. The warning is, I, I you know, his floor is probably not very high if this goes to a decision and you – you have to live with the points he got from striking unless he institutes a takedown game and gets you some grappling points, which I think would be smart. But that's probably my favorite play right there is Josh Emmett. You think that number's about right for Blades? Uh, he's minus 400 on DK. On Fandle, he's minus 410. Uh, yeah, is that, I mean, is that, yeah. Based on past precedent, probably, simply because the only fighters he's really had legitimate problems with has been Francis Ngannou. Now, with that said, you know, going back to my, my general statement about heavyweights, the, the, these guys hit hard. And Volkov is not a can. He's an accomplished striker. I can certainly see him catching. You know, Blades has got a pretty good chin. Look, he's taken punches from Nganu. Um, I think the first fight with Nganu was a technical knockout, meaning the referee stepped in because um, there was some damage to Blades' eye. Um, but he was still willing to fight. Um, you know, so he's a tough guy. He's got a good chin. Um, I understand it. It's just, it always scares me a little when you're laying that kind of number with heavyweights. I mean, less one of them is a can and Volkov is not a can. Besides the blades Volkov, give me the fight that you're uh, you think is like whoever wins this fight is going to be in the optimal. I'm probably thinking again, and I know this is, this is kind of boring because I already 
I, well, actually, no. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. I think that because of the high volume, um, and the activity, I think there's a really good chance that the winner of of uh, Camacho Frivola um, gets on the optimal. There's a pretty high inside the distance prop there on the fight itself. Plus, you know, each guy tends to want to bang um, that fight. And of course, you know, my, my favorite, the, the co-main, uh, Berg, Burgos is such a high volume striker landing seven strikes a minute. Even if that fight goes to a decision, he could score pretty well if he wins because he's going to be, be at least throwing a lot of significant strikes on the other side. Emmett could certainly finish Burgos. Um, and he's actually got a decent strike absorption rate as well, Emmett. So maybe he doesn't get hit by all those strikes, but I could see the winner of that fight ending on the optimal. All right, Joe, I'm not sure. I feel like we covered basically every single fighter, either specifically or peripherally. Uh, yeah. If there's anything we missed, feel free to you know throw that out there. If there's something you want to reiterate and like a point you want to hammer home, the floor is yours. No, I think we're good here. I mean, look, uh, save up for the Millie Maker. I don't know that with other sports coming – that we're going to see another one um, in a while. So you've, you've got another chance to make a million dollars. You know, there are satellites to win tickets. There are satellites in other sports as well. So you can try to win some tickets to that. Um, I'm really looking forward to the fight Island card. We have a card next week. um, And then we have a hiatus till July 11th. So we got a fight next week. And then we have like two weeks off until the inaugural fight Island card, which I'm really looking forward to with three title fights and, some European fighters and Asian fighters we haven't seen in a while. I'm really curious to see how the whole dynamic works on fight Island. Um, You know, and again, I always make this point, save some money for the televised slate, um, you know, or the second slate that's got the captain mode, which is is similar to what FanDuel's doing. DraftKings has the the captain mode for the televised slate, or they call it the late slate. Um, It's definitely a way that you could maybe hedge some of your earlier lineups or your exposures, um, you know, Price pools are decent in that as well. Joe, much appreciate your time, your expertise. Uh, tell the people where they can find you around the interwebs. At Sun Tzu, S-U-N-T-S-Z-U on Twitter. That's pretty much uh, where I'm at. Um, don't do Instagram. Don't really do Facebook. So feel free to reach out to me at Twitter. I never plead for followers. Um, but if you if you have intelligent things to say and aren't a perennial retweeter, um, I definitely will follow you back. Um, you know, so check me out there. That's Sun C. Joe. I was Dean. Good luck this week when you're playing MMA. This was the morning grind. We're out of here. Peace. Holler.